Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Jim shorts, and I pulled him down. So I didn't mean to, but I mean, I pantsed him right there. And Emery had to decide, is he, did he want victory or modesty? What was it going to be? And suddenly he quit wrestling, and I pinned him. I thought, what happened? And then I, oh, that's a plan, you know. So we don't want to compare our weaknesses to other people's strengths. The other thing where that kind of comparison goes to is a sort of ricochets into the idea of value and worthiness. And so when our expectations aren't met, when someone else has something we don't have, whatever it may be, we start asking ourselves, well, am I worthy? Does God value me? Um, you know, those kinds of questions as we go along. Now, I need to take a timeout. Uh, and the timeout I need to take is to talk about another kind of discontent, that they not be confused with each other, and that's holy discontent. There is such a thing as holy discontent. And the underlying premise and identifier of holy discontent is the fact that the focus is on Jesus and his kingdom. We know he hasn't come yet again. We know that not everybody is in it now. We know that the kingdom hasn't gone to every tribe and nation. We know that every knee is not yet bent and every tongue confessed that he is Lord. That's holy discontent. That's good. Because the focus is on Jesus and his kingdom. Natural discontent, on the other hand, the focus is on ourselves, our desires, our expectations. So there's a difference, and I I don't want them to be confused. You know, expectations are an interesting thing. uh, I've had occasion to officiate at a number of weddings, and as everybody who's married here knows, when you... When you uh, get ready to get married, you have to go to your county courthouse and you have to get a license. Now, there's no test or anything, uh, but you've got to pay the fee, right? You do have to pay the fee, and, and then after the ceremony, the officiant signs it and it goes back to the county. And I have no idea what they do with it, but they get it back. Um, <clears throat> so that couple that gets married, maybe they ultimately decide they want to have children. And so they do. But anyone in this room who's been a parent knows there's a vast difference between being able to produce a child and being able to parent one. But we come with this inherent idea that we know all that. We were a kid once. We saw mom and dad. We watched those others around us and so forth. I would rather we quit licensing people to get married and start licensing them to have children. You know, we need that because we're losing this whole chain of parenting. And the reality is here for Betty and I, I imagine for anybody who's had a child, no matter what they tell you, no matter how your parents give you good advice and you resonate with your expectations, when you bring that child home who's that long, who can't talk, who can't tell you where it hurts, who won't be able to tell you that they're wet or they're hungry or they're cold or anything else, your expectations are going to get violated. We have those same kinds of expectations in life. We expect certain things from God. If I play by the rules, okay, 
If I play by the rules and I do all the things I should do, and I think all the good thoughts that I should think and all of that, then God is going to align with my desires. Whatever it is I want, and that's what I'm going to get, right? No, not at all. We also have a number of why questions, and maybe all of you have asked these questions, but before I get into them, I don't want to make it too easy, take a moment and think about last week. Roll back in your mind to last week and pick a day, any day, whatever day, and think about where you had moments of being discontented. Did you have any of those? Did anybody not have those? No, it's very, very common that we have discontentment. So the questions we start asking are things like this. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is it that God's performance doesn't align to my expectations? I expect something, and he's not doing it. Am I not worthy? Am I not valued? And I followed the rules. Hey, God, you owe me. That's where we slide to in our attitude and our season of discontent. And you may have been there in one of those ways last week. And I would think the A number one is, how come I didn't get what I want? Didn't meet my expectations. So, when we're in a place of discontent, here's the outcome. First of all, discontent poisons worship. How can we worship God when we're mad at Him? When He's let us down? When He's disappointed us? He's far away. He's unfair. That's how worship gets poisoned through discontent. It also prohibits gratitude. You know, for example, in this video we saw, you had the young lady, Laura, with the 8-ouncer, and then the other guy had the 20-ouncer, and then the 1-liter and the 3-liter, and she was never able to be grateful when Jesus came back with the 20-ounce bottle. you remember that? He was holding a 20-ounce bottle. She said that's what she wanted, but she was unable. And so our gratitude becomes precluded, and what we end up doing is anything we receive from God just reminds us of what we didn't. That's, that's what happens. We're just reminded of that. The third thing that it does is it prevents discernment. How can we live if we cannot hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life? How, how can we not... What, what can we do? Well, when you're mad at God, when you're discontent, when you're unhappy, when you don't feel valued, you don't feel worthy, somebody else got all the goodies and you didn't get squat, whatever it was, then we lose our ability to discern what the Lord is saying. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever had that feeling? We just lose the ability to discern and tend to gravitate to someplace south of stupid. That's what happens. And the last thing is it precludes the enjoyment and celebration of the achievements of others. We're so much in a place of envy and jealousy and disappointment that, just like this young lady in the video, turned to the the girl with the one-liter bottle and said, just you wait. 
<laughs> Somebody's going to show up with a bigger bottle than that, and you're going to be mad. It precludes our ability as brothers and sisters in Christ to celebrate and encourage each other. So it poisons worship. It prevents discernment and prohibits gratitude and precludes the ability to enjoy and celebrate. And those all start with P. I did that on purpose. So you little memnonic device. But this is what God set up. Remember back there in Genesis 3.16, he says, Eve, from now on, you and your hubby are going to contend. And he says to Adam, you're going to work your brains out and always be disappointed that your reward was not equal to your effort. I think everything I saw in that Coke video has been in my life. Has it been in yours? I've felt that way. Maybe I didn't say anything even, but I, I felt it for sure. So what do we do with this? Where are we going to go? God cursed it. I mean, what, what are we going to do? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the book of Philippians. Now, Paul wrote a number of letters. Some letters he wrote to, wrote to individual people. Some letters he wrote to groups, communities, or churches. And the letters that he wrote to communities and churches, most of those letters were pretty corrective in their nature. You foolish, you know what I mean? They were pretty corrective, but not the, not the letter to the church at Philippi. When you read that letter or the church at Philippi, you can see Paul's love and regard and encouragement for that church. That was a special church to him. So he's writing to, to uh, Philippi. And in the 12th verse of that fourth chapter of his letter, he says this. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So what's Paul saying? Well, I think he's saying three things. The first thing he's saying is that contentment is a learned virtue. Like parenting, okay? Contentment is a learned virtue. We don't come packaged this way. It's a discipline that we need to practice. The second thing he's saying is you can be content in plenty or in not enough. You can also be discontent. So when you're in a place of discontent because you don't have enough, we call that need. And when you're in a place of discontent and you have a lot, we call that greed. It's the need and greed dynamic that we can experience. And the third thing is the way out of this, the way out of this head game, don't think of elephant, the way out of comparison and all of these things is to remember who you are. In that video, at the end of the day, Laura's problem was she could not understand her unique identity in Jesus. She just couldn't. She didn't have that yet. And so it's through him who strengthens me that we find our way to practice the discipline of contentment. And we get to practice it every day. I promise you, you'll meet it this morning somewhere. Okay, we have a little handout because you need a way to make this happen. I mean, it's fine for me to stand up here and 
say, well, this and that and bacon fat, but what do you do with that when things go badly? You know, when, when you get eight ounces and somebody else gets 20, or you thought you ought to have a liter and you didn't get any, what, what do you do with that? So the ushers have a little handout, and uh, they're going to give it to you, and I'd ask you to take that home and stick it either on your refrigerator or your bathroom mirror. Those are the two places we always go to. Okay, so you can have kind of top of mind awareness. Turn in your Bible to the 37th Psalm. 37th Psalm is a Psalm of David, and David in this Psalm is actually responding to the question why do good things happen to bad people? And so the Psalm looks like this David writes and he says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. And now we get to the point, verse 3, Trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Direction, promise. The fourth verse says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in the Lord. He's so good. We sang about it today, didn't we? Wasn't that amazing? It's awesome. Delight in the Lord. The fifth verse says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. And the promise is, he'll make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Does that sound good? Ooh, ooh, I'd like to have a little bit of that. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. He's saying here, wait. How many times have you ever had to deal with the idea that God's timing is different than yours or mine? All the time we face that. And so we have to wait on the Lord because he is good and because he knows, he knows what we need and he has it for us. And there's one more thing. If you reverse the 37th Psalm to the 73rd Psalm, you see a different Psalm. But it's around the same question. This is the Psalm of Asaph. And he says this, and he's a pretty hot guy. When you get into this, you'll, you'll get it. Uh, he says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, they're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills, therefore pride is their necklace, they close themselves. And This guy's hot. He's, he's sort of venting, would you not say? He's pretty hot. But then he comes down to the uh, 15th verse, which I don't have. Hmm. Um, and he comes into a place of language where he's saying if I would have said those things I would have destroyed your children but when I came into your temple I discovered your goodness when I was in my discontent about these people who I had judged and felt were unworthy in all their success I was a brute. I had no discernment. I had no worship. I was at the edge of the chasm. And then I pulled back because I 
rethought. I rethought. And I stopped comparing myself to them. I stopped comparing myself to what you didn't do for me. I stopped all of that stuff and I connected with the goodness of God. And that's the antidote to discontent. That is where you're able to reject anything that would come against you that way. thinking about two men. They were close to the end of a season of their life. And when we encounter them, we find each of them in a garden, facing a choice. And they're each thinking about a tree. One of those men decided to not trust God and rebelled and condemned us to generations of sin and brokenness and punishment. The other of those men chose to trust God. Remember, he said, could, could this cup pass me by? It's like, is there another way we could do this? But not my will, but your will. I trust you, God. And because he made that choice, we're redeemed. We're saved by grace through faith. He paid the price. He holds everything now. He's our king, and we have to trust him. We have a great quote from Warren Wiersbe, who's a pastor who's almost 90, I think, now. But he says this, Real contentment must come from within. You and I cannot change or control the world around us. But we can change and control the world within us. The celebration of the discipline of contentment is based on each of us making free choices in every situation, good or bad as we're feeling it, to extract from that situation everything that God has placed there for us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for everything that you've done today. I thank you that you meet us at our place of need, that your spirit stimulates us and prompts us and provokes us and wakens our awareness and our discernment of your goodness and your plan for us. Lord, I imagine most of us in this room have heard plenty of sermons about contentment. Lord, I'm asking that today this would be a different time. I'm asking that this would be a day of breakthrough. I'm asking that this would be a day where your spirit would release into us and make us aware that we have a choice. That we have a choice to not compare. We have a choice to not go into a place of discontentment where we can't worship, where we can't pray, where we can't bless, where we can't receive blessing. No, Lord, we don't want that. We don't want any of that. And so we're declaring right now that we're not going to compare, that we're not going to be discontent. And when we face those circumstances, because, Lord, we surely know we will, then we'll choose to trust. 
then we'll choose to delight in the goodness of who you are. We'll choose to wait. We'll choose to rethink. So Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessings you've poured out on us. In your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Gwen? Thank you.